everybody, and welcome to a new episode of StartupRad.io, your podcast show with startup news and interviews from Germany. Hello and welcome again. This is StartupRad.io bringing you the latest news May 2015 from Germany. This time it's kind of an intercontinental bridge that we're doing this recording. I'm very glad to welcome Christian here. Hello, Christian. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello. Uh, good morning from what seems to be like a very sunny morning in New York. My name is Christian Farnbach. I work as a freelance journalist in New York and I was part of uh, the Town Night program in entrepreneurial journalism last year. So a lot of stuff I'm writing about is about tech and new media, and I'm happy to be here too. That is really cool because right now it's a Saturday afternoon, also bright and sunny here in Frankfurt, Germany. So let's get started with the news. I found last month Zalando has a new methodology of recruiting Next to the Tech Hub in Dublin, that's already in existence, they want to uh, start a new Tech Hub in Helsinki, Finland, where it's supposed to be very cold, I've heard. According to the German startup podcast Gründerszene, meaning founder scene, Salando will, with the new hub, recruit international employees. The focus of the new Tech Hub should be the development of customer-related products. What did you find, Christian? Um, well, yeah, I think, I mean, diversifying internationally suddenly, uh, certainly seems like a pretty good idea for them, especially when they when ha they have the will to hold up like more international competitors like Amazon or uh, Zippos. And so um, good luck to them. <laughs> well, uh, connected to that, I found... Yesterday or during this week, I found um, a publication in Manager Magazine. It's something like a periodical for uh, middle and upper management here in Germany. They did an analysis of the click-through and um, conversion rates in Germany. And the former catalog retailer Otto and Zalando, which is the, the fashion retailer from the Rocket Empire, have a much higher click-through rate than, for example, Amazon. But on the other hand, Amazon has, I think, 10 times the traffic of them, so they can work with larger numbers. But it turns out Otto and Zalando understand the German customer a little bit better than Amazon does. Yeah, yeah, seems like it. So, um I mean, for me, honestly, like the whole uh, buying fashion online thing seems a, a bit complicated. But uh, from what you hear and what you can read, especially during Christmas time, a lot of people seem very much into it. So go uh, go for it. <laughs> I personally do admit that I also do some shopping online, but most of the time it's just just when I see something and I buy it. It's not that I intentionally go online and say, I want to buy this, I want to buy that. I'd rather go down to the city and retail stores and, and even try it on. Yeah, yeah, it's the same here. So um, another news we found was that there is a new startup in Frankfurt, which is called Hey Bob. And this startup wants to be like a concierge service via short message. So you can text them whatever you want to do. They want to start out with uh, three vertical verticals in the beginning. Um, one of them being travel. So it's not like your average virtual private assistant, but they uh, want you to 
tell them that you want to go places, for example, and they want then to find you a good um, travel deal. And they are being financed by, by a small portion of the amount of money you're spending. Yeah, so it's, it seems to be like a new angle on the whole virtual private assistant thing, which I think, especially in Germany, didn't really take off because of the huge amount uh, of money you have to spend on human labor and it's not as easily um, it's not as easily outsourceable to other countries as it is in the english-speaking countries did you ever use a virtual private assistant actually i never did but i'm the kind of person who as our listeners m may remember i'm working as a full-time consultant and this podcasting stuff is is just my hobby and therefore life keeps me really really busy and i would be the first person to say okay i'm gonna use this service if it's really good really reliable and affordable yeah but i always think that germans probably are too i don't know are too frugal for this that they think okay well before i would text somebody where i want to go i can just look it up myself and probably find a better deal so um I think it's a really tough business to actually make money in. Actually, we went through those news in the German podcast as well. So the thing that came to my mind there was, okay, I would not do write a short message and send it to someone in order, in order that they also do something which I can kind of organize myself with a few more words. But I would be open to something like, I sent them a short message I want to pick up at the best Italian restaurant here in Frankfurt, Da Chiminos. Mm -hmm. They don't do delivery. So I sent someone there. They order pizza for me, bring it here. Awesome. If I can do that with a, with a short message, amen. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there must be certain things that, that, that should be done, but I, I think it's really hard to pull off in terms of getting like a, a network of people that are actually working for you. And that's also something they said that Right now, you can uh, register for um, the service, but they are just taking as many customers as they can handle with their experts. It will be interesting to see in terms of scale how they develop in the future. There is kind of something similar if you're really high-end customer of credit cards like the Platinum from Visa. They also do offer a private concierge service as well as those virtue smart uh, cell phones don't know if they have a smartphone. You remember the former very fashionable, very expensive brand of Nokia smartphones? They all do have a personal concierge service, so there seems to be a market for it. But I'm not really sure how many people use it there and what they are used for. But at least in some income levels, there seem to be a market. And it appears to me that it's now the effect of kind of trickling down. Yeah, that could certainly be the case. I mean, and especially with the credit cards, you have to give them huh, the credit that uh, there you can use like your bonus points, etc. for the travel deal. So probably there is some more added value there. But um, um, yeah, it sounds like a sounds like a good idea. And also to them, all the best of luck. <laughs> We've been talking about media and there's a new media accelerator here in Germany, in Frankfurt. It's from the public German press agency, DPA, Deutsche Presseagentur. It's, a, it's called the Next Media Accelerator and you can apply there till the 15th of July. It kind of accelerates everything that is close to media. 
what would you think about this? Yeah, finally a topic I can talk something about or I can contribute something. So um, with the New Media Accelerator, um, and I was pretty involved with them too because I do work for the German Newswire a lot and um, I do also know a couple of the people who are involved there personally. So um, the idea behind it is that they want to find new media-related startups. It doesn't necessarily have to be journalism itself, but also uh, they're looking a lot into tech and how tech can add value to media organizations. Um, there's a similar one in the U.S. called Matter, which also I think they now went through the fourth cohort or something. And um, yeah, so the, uh, the next media accelerator is, um, I think, a pretty good idea because the way it works is You give them a certain amount of equity, so it's like your average incubator, and um, they either offer you 50,000 euro for 10% of your company, 25,000 euro for 5%, or um, you don't get any money, but give them 3% of the equity so that you are allowed to be a part of their incubator in Hamburg. So what happens is, I think it's going to be six months where you will sit in Hamburg and you have the... Um, Yeah, you have the connections to all the people doing the um, accelerator, especially the people from DPA. And I think what's really key here in the end for, um, for a startup company is the fact that you are able to get in front of the, I don't know, 150, 200 media companies, which are uh, clients of the Newswire. So they will take a very close look, I'm pretty sure, to what is going to come out of that accelerator. And in the end, you have a very... Um, you have a very good link and first uh, a foot in the door to all those companies if you have a very good idea. And um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see which kind of companies apply for the first cohort now. I don't know if you have more experiences or if you know any, if you have any data of other accelerators or incubators, what usually happens within the first uh, phase, within the first uh, cohort. I think it's pretty tough, in, especially in the beginning, right? Well, that depends. We do have a quite close exchange with the fintech incubator of Commerzbank here in Frankfurt called Main Incubator because the river that's flowing through the city is called Main. And there's now two more incubators, accelerators starting here in Frankfurt that did not have their first cohort yet. One of them is Gründermaschine, Founders Machine. It will be a fintech accelerator and the other one being Gate Mills. And they are rather looking into web e-commerce stuff. I'm, I'm not too sure how long it will take for them to get in the first cohort of startups, but I do think it's a pretty tough job. On the other hand, I've seen... I've seen quite a lot of interesting stuff because I was there at the pitch day here in Frankfurt when the startup bootcamp fintech was here. So basically what they are doing to get a lot of good startups into their program, they only have two hubs right now in London and in Singapore. And what they are doing, they're kind of traveling around all the cities like Frankfurt, Zurich, Paris, I think something like Madrid, Barcelona, Lisboa, you, you kind of get the idea, all the important and big cities. And they do pitch dates there and kind of help to select the startup intake, what they are doing there. And if you now imagine how much 
money and time it takes to organize such a trip because everywhere there are local mentors or mentors from London traveling with them. There are some people there. They have to have a venue and all of this stuff. You kind of realized how how tiresome it can be, how expensive time and money consuming it can be to get in the really good startups. And I do think it's very hard not to crack for the new accelerators and incubators that are out there. Especially the more the more and more there are, the the less they can differentiate themselves from the others. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, what we have here is, on the one side, the the strength of it, but probably on the other side, a, a bit of a weakness, because especially in terms of media-related startups, there is not that much going on, because usually journalists are not that entrepreneurial yet. So it's going to be interesting to see which kinds of uh, startups apply and what kind of uh, maturity they already have. We'll pay close attention to that. Yeah. Did you know that now in Germany you can trade diapers on the stock exchange? Because after Rocket Internet and Zalando acted as a kind of icebreaker for the stock exchange here in Frankfurt, beginning of May there was another startup listed here at Frankfurt Stock Exchange. It's called windeln.de, meaning diapers.de. And it tried to raise 211 million euros. It went public for an IPO price of 18.50 euros a share. But unfortunately, within the last few days, it went down to something like 15 euros a share. We've been talking in our German podcast a lot about it because we did have one of the leading German podcasting freelance analysts for um, e-commerce models with us, Jochen Krisch. And it was a very interesting conversation because he said Windeln.de is, is a very certain form of marketing and there are some people behind it who really do understand it well because basically they started with diapers, with sending around very low margin product, high velocity, a lot of turnover and all this stuff. And then they added more and more high margin products. So it's it's kind of the hook for for the new parents to get diapers cheap. And with this, they are trying to sell more and more and more. And at the beginning, they only sold stuff for babies. And now they go growing, 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 growing with the parents. So meaning at first, they started out with diapers. Now you can buy almost everything for your baby to your kid, let's say, till six years old or something. They're really good. And one of the founders used to be um, yeah, a well-known uh, executive member of board of a big German company. So th there's also some experience in there. And they went from nothing to this IPO in less than five years. Yeah, and that's probably one of the reasons why I was... I have to admit that I was a bit underwhelmed when I was looking at the website because to me it just seems like yet another uh, shopping website and it didn't necessarily become clear to me in the first place that it used to be like a diaper subscription service or like a diaper service. And um, yeah, so I thought, oh, well, it doesn't seem that innovative of an of an idea. But um, did you have any, any uh, explanations for why um, the stock relatively tanked afterwards so i mean it, it seems like a hint that the market doesn't believe them anyway right well i would not say the market doesn't believe them anyway but it's always a question of valuation so if you want to have 
a company listed on the stock exchange. It kind of is kind of touching around and feeling out to all the institutional investors that you would need to subscribe to this offering in order to make it successful to place all your shares. And this is called the book building phase. So they want to take in orders as much as possible and then they have a book building range, let's say, for between 5 and 10 US dollars. And they are talking to as many potential investors as possible, big investors, of course, who have a professional analyst team. And they say, okay, we will buy for eight. Another one says, we will buy for nine. And you try to push this price as high as possible because old investors kind of cash out with this methodology where here also some did. Not not all of them, not all of them are gone. Not all the uh, equity they're holding is gone, but some of the money, the, some of the proceeds went towards the old investors. And if you go too high up, there's always a probability of going down then. But that is a question of the business model. So as soon as you make the revenues you promise, as soon as the people can see your model is working like you told them, the price should go up again. But that's kind of now where they are. So they went public for for the highest possible price, then they went down and now they have to prove themselves. Yeah. So we'll see whether it's just a technicality or not or whether it's just like a correction. Um, yeah. Kind of more of a success story is um, Shopify from Canada, which uh, if you want to, I can talk about a bit now. Um, Shopify is a software as a service um, company that tries to, or that helps their customers to, let's say, unify their whole range of online e-commerce activities. And um, the interesting thing here, or there are two interesting things here. One is that it's from Canada, and Canada is a bit similar to Germany because they are desperately looking for like the Canadian Facebook and the Canadian uh, uh, what have you in terms of, okay, we want to have a huge success story. But um, probably what's even more interesting for us is that it was founded by two Germans from uh, the small and lovely city of Koblenz. And uh, so they went uh, to, uh, they had their IPO, or they went uh, to the stock exchange in New York and Toronto at the end of May. And um, they uh, were, this was going pretty well for them. They were starting at around $17 and then uh, went up to $30. And um, so it seems as if they are totally on track do you have uh do you have any experience with shopify so far or with shopping uh, software in general <laughs> well well not not that in-depth experience but on the other hand on the german social media channels as well as on the um english-speaking social media channels i do share from time to time articles from the shopify blog but that's a, that's the only touch point i have with those guys but personally, I I do think it's a very successful company so far, and we'll see what they are bringing. We've been talking to Jochen, and he says he assumes they do have much more in the pipeline, and it's a very good idea. But it was his opinion, not my personal one. Yeah, yeah so far it seems a bit difficult to uh, actually value how big it can be because it's not as accessible a product as, uh, I don't know, Facebook or whatever. But, um, yeah, to me, it also seems good. And, and, and I think you're totally right that their blog is very, um, 
is very good. They have a lot of nice articles on there, even for all entrepreneurs in in general. So uh, listeners, check that out. <laughs> yes, exactly. So basically, that where the aggregated news. Oh, don't forget one more. Um, Drivey takes over Autonetza. There is a right now in the sharing market. There's big consolidation. For example, French VC pumped up company Blablacar uh, took over the German competitor Mitfahrgelegenheit, meaning ride sharing. Nachbarschaftsauto and Autonetze merged, and then Drivey now took over Autonetze, and there now there are the long distance buses. For our listeners outside of Germany, there used to be regulations in Germany that you not permitted to have long distance bus services because they did not want to have a competition to the state owned, government owned rail service Deutsche Bahn. This was cracked with EU regulations, and now we do have a very vivid, very big, and fastly expanding market for long-distance bus services. So, let's say five years ago, you could not get something only closely resembling the Greyhound bus system here in Germany. Yeah, and I think what we see here now is what typically happens if a market gets opened up, and so. Um, we got like the different we got the different uh, bus companies who now all start to come up with their um, destinations and their trips, and we got the several uh, car companies and car sharing companies. We even got in a lot of the cities a pretty um, tough market for car sharing as well, just city related like car to go from uh, Mercedes. And um, yeah, I think we're now getting into this phase of where uh, the market cleans itself in a way and where there are um, companies buying one another so that there are only a couple of competitors will remain. Yes, exactly. That's, we, we had as a guest one of the founders of a car sharing app for short distances. It's called Flink, F-L-I-N-C. And uh, Matthias was talking about that now this, this service Offering on the one hand matures, meaning there's a little bit of consolidation in the market, but it's mainly driven by those startups who raise big amounts of venture capital and they are basically taking over smaller competitors in order to gain market share. Um, on the other hand, you can also see that there's that there are some some separate markets, some some sub markets that are developing right now, for example, Flink is usually used within big cities for short distances. And then you have Blablacar. When you look at those offerings here in Germany, it's rather from one city to another city. It's, from what I understand, 100 kilometers, more than 100 kilometers. So you, you rather travel longer distances together with Blablacar. Yeah, let's see how they can educate the inhabitants of car country Germany <laughs> to, <laughs> to <laughs> but, use but ac yeah. Actually, there used to be a lot of traveling by car and by train and so, some flying because Germany is not that big. And especially if you live in Frankfurt, you can go by train within four hours to almost every spot in Germany, every important city. So this is pretty nice. On the other hand, now there's there's more. So basically, there are now buses. Now you can make those uh, ride-sharing apps. And adding on to that 
opportunities that are on those options that are now out there. There was a strike several times right now in Germany, which basically took down the whole <coughs> network because the, the drivers of the trains went on strike and therefore they are they kind of pushed all the other options involuntarily. Yeah, yeah, I bet so because I mean this strike seems to go on forever and even here from abroad you can tell that people are pretty much done with it and they just want a solution. So yeah, this is good advertising for all the different options. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the drivers may be that the um, the union of the train drivers is a very small union and there's a law in preparation that would deny those unions to make big, vast strikes and take down a lot of important sectors like the pilots of Lufthansa did from time to time, like those guys did. And so now the closer they are getting to this deadline, the heavier it gets with those strikes. And after that, we're not sure. Maybe the law will hold up in the constitutional court. Maybe it will be struck down. You'll never know. But that's of kind of like the part that applies to pressure. And that kind of started so many strikes. And it's also part of why people are so frustrated by the strike. Because um, it doesn't seem to a lot of people as if it's just about money and getting more money for uh, the train drivers. But also because they're is this underlying uh, narrative of, okay, it's about this new law coming up and you want the union wants to seem very strongly opposed against it. And then there is a lot of talk whether the union should work more closely together with the other unions of the people employed by the, co uh, by the train company. And so I think it's also uh, one of the reasons why people are so fed up with it. It's not a very startup uh, topic. <laughs> It's old, old time economy. <laughs> yes, but since the competitors of this old time economy, like you called it, are the startups, it kind of has a big impact here on Germany, on the startup scene, on the long distance buses and those ride sharing apps. Um, now that you've been in the States for one and a half years, could you share with us a little bit the differences you've experienced in the startup scene compared to here in Germany? Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously. I mean, um, it, it, to me, it already seems hard to talk about it and not to become one of those uh, cliche buzzword type of guys who's just reiterating all the, um, all the American cliche sentences in this. But I have the feeling that it is certainly more okay to fail To fail forward, that's what they say always, that um, you have to go to the market pretty early, that's what they do here, and then learn from the experiences you make at the market. And um, one of the main things that I find really exciting here is that people don't hold on to their ideas as much as they do probably in Germany or in Europe. So usually the whole uh, attitude towards the uh, startup thing and um, building your own thing is, okay, everybody had all ideas already and the differences is in the making and in following through. And uh, so I want to talk to as many, people as, as many people as possible about my idea to get better feedback and then to develop a better product. And um, so, yeah, I'd say those are two main differences, like the fail forward thing, then uh, ideas are worth nothing and execution is everything. And probably the third one, which I usually see, is that there's uh, 
huge differences in terms of presenting yourself. And usually a lot of the pitches you can see at demo nights and a lot of the ways the founders present themselves are very, very professional. And, and I mean, it's very American style polished and, um, so yeah, it's, and it's an exciting area to be because I mean, New York, um, isn't the number one in terms of tech, obviously, because this is the West Coast and Silicon Valley, but New York is pretty, um, is doing pretty well in terms of media and in terms of, okay, here's a lot of money. So FinTech is here a bit. And, um, yeah, so this is the, uh, the things that New York now has. And New York also, um, is very proud of the fact that until very recently, they were just number three in the U.S., I think, behind Seattle. I'm not really sure about that. Seattle or Chicago? I'm not sure. But um, right now, New York claimed number two spot in terms of being entrepreneurial friendly or the entrepreneurial city in, or region in the U.S. And um, so there's a lot of things happening here. The, um, the city itself is helping you a lot. There are a lot of co-working spaces, obviously. And... Um, so these are a couple of things that are exciting about being here. That is really great. Thank you so much for being here. I'd love to have you back. And I hope our listeners enjoyed this episode of StartupRate.io. If you do speak some German, tune in to our German-speaking podcast, StartupRadio.de. In case you're not, I hope you come back at, at least for the next episode, Startup News June. If you like it, share it. Thank you very much for for having us. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot for uh, having me. And yeah, let's do it again. Bye-bye from New York. Bye-bye from Frankfurt.